today we're going to talk about the purpose of trials. A trial is when you do something stupid and now you are reaping the consequences of that. A trial is when you sin. A trial is when you disobey. A trial is when you do what you know you should not do and now you're reaping results of that. Out of curiosity, has anybody in here ever been through a trial in their life because you did something stupid? Good, we have honest people in here. If you didn't raise your hand, pray for the person next to you. They need help. They need Jesus. What I'm going to teach you today, uh, the problem we have is we don't know the purpose of these trials. So I'm going to teach you the quickest way to get from in the middle of a trial to come out of a trial. You know, the quickest way from point A to point B is a straight line. I'm going to give you a straight line today. And the points I'm going to teach you today, I believe that everyone in here over 50 years old, will confirm what I'm saying and tell anyone under 50, I wish I had known this when I was younger. I wish I wouldn't have had to keep going through that trial. Oh, I wish I knew what I know now, how to get through the trials of life. Jesus said up here, it says in John 16, 33, in this world, now Jesus said this. This is not one of those tattoos, you know, scriptures people get tattooed on their body. It's not one of those scriptures you see at Kirkland's and you buy it for somebody, you know, all oh, this. But Jesus said, you might not have learned this in children's church. You will have tribulation, trials, distress and frustration. But be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Here's what he's saying. You will make mistakes. I don't care how good you try to be. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how much you are on your knees in prayer every day. You will sin and you will reap results from that sin. You will reap consequences. But in the middle of that trial, we need to learn the quickest way to get out biblically so that we don't have that same trial happen to us over and over and over again in life. Our problem is whenever we go through trials, some of the first things we do is we blame everybody else for what's going on. It's the devil trying to attack me. It must be God. I couldn't have done anything wrong in this. Um, we don't take responsibility. We point the finger at others. Or if you're camped out on this side, or some Christians are way over here and they're so guilt stricken and they think they deserve punishment. I don't deserve anything good. I shouldn't lift my hands in church. I shouldn't receive any kind of miracles. I need to pay for what I did. And then once I've paid for it, then I can have good things from God. If you're camped out over here or if you're camped out over here, you need to bring it back in the middle today. Um, I had a, a friend of mine who called me a little over a week ago and um, it was a late, late at night and he called me telling me he was about to commit suicide. He was going to end his life and he wanted to make sure he was going to heaven and uh, he didn't sound upset about any of it. He said he's going to off himself and be done. He wanted me to be the last person he talked to. And so, um, of course, I immediately text some of our prayer partners while I'm on the phone with him, you know, pray. But I was talking to him. I said, why do you want to kill yourself? And he said this. Because my life is nothing but pain. I've done so many bad things. I'm experiencing all this pain. I've been in and out in jail. I don't see any hope for the future. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I failed. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm full of bad choices. And I, I just want to end all of this. So I told him what I'm going to tell you today. And that is there's a purpose for the pain. There's a purpose for the trial. There's a purpose for what you're going through. If you will go through it God's way, and once it ends, you will have then put yourself in one of the most unique positions on planet Earth. And that is, you've been through something difficult, you've seen the light, you've got God, and you've come through, and now you are in a unique position to help somebody else 
when they're going through the same thing that you've gone through. Amen. It's an amazing place to be in life. Sin uh, is an amazing thing that can happen to us if we'll go through it God's way to where when we can help somebody else when they're at the same place we are. Uh, let me say it like this. Um, if you have not been through what I'm going through, don't give me any advice. You can pray for me and you can encourage me, but don't give me any advice unless you know how I feel in the middle of this trial. I want to hear from somebody that's done stupid things like I've done, but they've come out on the other side. Um, five, six years ago, I went through the worst trial in my life. And I had, you know, some people just kind of walked away. And then other, there were pastors that were contacting me to help me. This one particular pastor, I met with him for one hour. And what he said to me in that hour meant more than all the other pastors combined. Because the first thing out of his mouth was, John Paul, I've been exactly where you are. I've been in that exact same trial. I said, you have? He said, you feel this way and this way. I said, yes, I do. He said, you're angry about this. And I said, yes, I am. He said, you're trying to fix this and change this right. Yes, I am. I said, you know exactly what he said. Yes, I've been there. And he said, I'll tell you this. It's not going to be easy. It's going to hurt. You're going to experience a little bit more pain. But if you will do this, 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 and this, I promise you. You will come out of it, and you'll be better off than you were before. Sure enough, I did this, 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 and this, and I came through. I called that man, thanked him so much. I can't believe you knew exactly what was going on in my life. And he said, it's because I've done that exact stupid thing in my life as well. These are the people who I want to surround myself with. People that have done stupid things, but they know how they've gotten through it with God. Um, here's the point. Don't just go through the trial. Grow through the trial. Don't just go through it. Grow through it. When you grow through a trial, you come out with more wisdom than you had before. When you grow through a trial, you gain experience in life. When you grow through a trial, listen real close. When you see somebody else that's struggling, you don't condemn them. You don't judge them. In fact, you have mercy for them. Because you know just what it's like to feel that way. It's an amazing. I've seen people that are so quick to judge. And I feel like, man, whatever they're judging that person, they're going to end up going through that same thing. And they're going to go through it over and over again. But once you grow through it and you realize the only way I got this was from God. The only way I came out on top was from God. You gain this mercy and, 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 and you gain this grace for other people who are struggling in that area. So, quickest way from the middle of the trial to overcoming, four, five points for you today, and I won't charge you for the extra two, I normally do three, but five because today's a special day. Number one is this, for your notes, you've got to recognize, you have to recognize your part in the trial. Don't you dare come to me and say, I have no idea why this is happening. I don't know why this is my fifth marriage, I just don't understand. Uh, I don't know why I can't hold down a job. Every boss I have hates me. You don't know. You have no idea. I have no. I had a guy call me up the other day, um, and his wife left him. I have no idea why my wife. I said, "You have no idea." I have no idea. I said, "What about the drugs you do?" Well, that could have been it. What about the fact that you never pay your bills and you take it? Well, maybe she's upset about that. So in two seconds, I figured out why she left you, and you have no idea. And listen, sometimes it is the devil and sometimes God is testing us. But when you're going through a trial, you're going to keep growing. You're going to keep going through it until you recognize your part in it. Um, David in the Old Testament, he committed adultery 
And then the woman he committed adultery with, Bathsheba, she got pregnant. So he hired somebody basically to kill her husband. Now you got to imagine, he didn't do this as a shepherd. He did this after he became king. In other words, God had done amazing things in his life. I mean, mighty miracles. After all God did, he did something really stupid in life. So this trial that he was in the middle of, it lasted nine months. After he uh, had the affair and after he had her husband killed, she got pregnant. For nine months, he was so miserable. For nine months, he was uh, sick. For nine months, he did not write one psalm. This was a man that was used by God daily, and now God's not using him. Uh, for nine months, um, he, he was depressed. For nine months, he didn't pray. Now listen, it wasn't the affair or the murder that had him like this. It was not the sin. It was that he didn't deal with the sin God's way. Don't ever think that your sin is what stops you from being used by God or your mistake is what stops God from blessing you. It is not the mistake. It's that you don't deal with the mistake God's way. So finally, after nine months, David finally recognized, you know, it must be, I must have done something wrong. And so Psalms 51, he says this, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my evil. Cleanse me from my sin. For I recognize, there's our word, number one, my faults. And my sin is ever or before me. It's, it's present. I can see my sin. Here's what's so interesting about this. He never blamed it on Bathsheba. He never said, well, if she wasn't, you know, taking a bath for everybody to see, then I wouldn't have noticed. He didn't say, well, God, if you had just done something different in my life, this wouldn't have happened. He didn't point out five other kings that made them the same thing. Well, you know, these other kings, they did the same thing, God, and now I'm having to deal with this. No, no, he took all, he, he took all the responsibility. It's me, God. Here's my part. Here's my fault. Until I recognize my sin, I'll never grow out of my trial. Until I recognize my sin. I'll never grow out of my trial. Point number two is this. You've got to take responsibility. You have to take responsibility. Um, I've been in and out of counseling my whole life. Not because I'm crazy. Okay, so I see people writing stuff down right now. Not because I'm crazy, but because um, I, love, I love seeking advice. I love finding people that are smarter than me. I love, finding, I, I love to gain wisdom. And so whether it's emails to a pastor or sitting down with a professional counselor, and, and, and pastors, we don't have a lot of people we can talk to because the second they find out you're just as just much a moron as everybody else, they, they won't want to listen to you preach. So, you, you know, you got to pay a professional who can, you know, just sit down. Anyway, so the first time I went to counseling, uh, somebody offered to pay for me. And I thought, this is really exciting. It was like 150 bucks an hour. So I thought, yeah, I'll go to counseling. So I, I got my notes and I had already written down all the things I wanted to discuss. And they were basically people's names. So I go to counseling. <laughs> And I said, I didn't think that was funny. Y'all thought that was funny? I didn't think that was funny. Anyway, so I go to counseling and say, you know, John Paul, and I said, well, first let me tell you what my parents did wrong when they were raising me. And then after that, when I was 13, my first boss fired me for da 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 and that hurt my feelings. And then, you know, when I was 17 years old, this happened. I lost my favorite truck because this guy ran me off the road and I could, the insurance wouldn't pay. And I had a whole list. And then the counselor said, well, why didn't you forgive that da 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 And I said, no, 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 we're talking about, he said, well, why did you handle it this way? Why didn't you handle it this way? 
I said, listen, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about all the people that have done me wrong and how it's their fault and what they did. And the counselor said, you mean there's nothing you've done wrong in this? Well, I could have handled a few of those things differently. I'm sure I could have prayed for my enemies. I'm sure I could have forgiven the wrongs. I'm sure I could have believed the best. But they did this and this. Listen, if you don't take responsibility, you'll never have change in your life. Because you can't change everybody else. Uh, you cannot change other people. The only person that you can always ask God to change and he will always honor that request is yourself. Do you know why David could take responsibility for what he did? Because the reason he saw Bathsheba taking a bath from the rooftop of his palace is because he wasn't where God wanted him to be in that moment. I'll prove it to you. It says in 2 Samuel 11, 1, in the spring, and God sent David off to war. Every spring he led the battle. He always came back victorious. When kings go off to war, David decided, I'm going to be lazy today. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to spend time with my family. I'm not going to be where God wants me to be. And let's just see what happens. I'm sure it'll be okay. No big deal. The very next scripture in verse 2, that night David was on the palace and he saw a woman bathing. He wasn't where God wanted him to be. And so he knew if for nothing else, it was that very minute that I was, that very minute causes me to be responsible for what happened. And it, we can only heal in the areas that we acknowledge we are sick. Imagine um, you having a cough or, or a stomach ache or whatever, and you go to the doctor and they say, what's wrong? You say, nothing's wrong. But you're coughing or you're throwing up, or you have, you know, your temperature's at, but nothing's wrong. The doctor's going to say, there's nothing I can do. So every area that you're willing to acknowledge you have a sickness in is the areas God can heal you in. Point number three, repent. Repent does not mean just to say, God, forgive me. That is not repentance. That's asking forgiveness. Two separate things. The word repent in the New Testament over and over when you see repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, repent. The word in the Greek is metanineo. I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but it makes me look really smart when I use Greek words in church. And so I like to put that up there every now and then. Here's what it actually means is to change the way you think. To literally, you ask God to change your mind. There was a thought process that took you to, to, to the beginning of that trial, and you're in the middle of the trial. So once you take responsibility and recognize your part, and you say, God, now I need you to change the way I think. Because I was thinking a certain way that caused me to get into this trial. And I don't want to get into this trial again and again and again. So I need you to change the way I'm thinking. Remember the prodigal son um, he made mistakes. He took his inheritance and he ran off to Las Vegas and he, you know, spent it on the wrong people, gambled it away, wrong friends. His trial got him to uh, be hanging out with the pigs in the pig pen. He lost shelter. He lost friends. He lost money. So at that point, something happened. Now, a lot of people that you're praying for and love, they have to hit rock bottom before they ever repent. It'll always be somebody else's fault with some people until they hit rock bottom and have nothing left. And some of you, and I mean this in a very kind way, but some of you are, um, you're assisting these people too much. If somebody is spending more time with you than they are their own spouse, something's wrong. 
If somebody is, um, and you, it's like they're always into, they always want to be at your house or call you every second or they want your money or they want your time or energy. And every time something goes wrong in their marriage, they call you and, and they, you need to stop um, feeding that fire because it's not helping them. They're relying on you and not God. There should be nobody in your life that relies on you more than they do God. Because what's going to happen is, when you die, what are they going to do? They might kill themselves because they don't know how they're going to move on. How are they going to live without you? So you have to wean them off of you very carefully so they get to the place of repentance and say, God, my thinking pattern's not right. I need you to change the way I think. The prodigal son in verse 18 said this, when he finally came to his senses. I love that phrase. In other words, when he finally realized, you know what? There might be a problem here. While pig food is in his mouth, he's thinking, you know what? There, there, there might be something wrong with me. It could be me. He had nobody left. And he said to himself, I'm going to get back up and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against you and God. The greatest step we can ever take in life is to get up and go back to our father. That's the great. That's the first step to any victorious um, success in your life is to get up and go back to your father. Get up and go back to your father. So um, God changes us from the inside out once we bring our sin to him. He changes us from the inside. So I want to read you a book um, about a guy who finally repented. Okay, it goes like this. Uh, chapter one. I walk down the street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fell into it. It wasn't my fault. It took me a long time, but I finally got out. Chapter 2. I walked down the same street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fell into it. It was my fault. It took me a long time, but I finally got out. Chapter 3. I walked down the same street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walked around it. Chapter 4, I now walk down a different street. <laughs> Some people, it takes them 40 years to finally walk down a different street. Here's how you know if you've truly repented, is you're not walking down the same street anymore. You've got different streets in front of you. Okay, so point number four is this. And this is where I think a lot of you as solid rockers miss it. And it's you've got to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God. It's one thing, and I think, I think y'all are great. I, I know you. I think you're great at recognizing your part. I think you're great at, at, at taking responsibility and repentance. But I think a lot of you, especially ladies, I think that you may battle uh, guilt, um, condemnation. I'm such a bad mom. Such a bad, I can't believe I made this mistake again. Oh, my kids are going to grow up and hate me. What am I going to do? You have to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God. It's a vital point in this process. Or you're going to go through it again. Um, years ago, I used to eat at this hamburger joint in Myrtle Beach every week. I'd get my, go on hamburger and I'd bring my kids with me. And it was always around a lot of homeless people at the time in Myrtle Beach. And so every time we'd go, we'd always order an extra hamburger. And I would teach my kids, pick somebody out there and we're going to you know, walk out and give it to them. We did it over and over again. And this one particular day, when we pulled up, there were no homeless people around. So I thought, oh, but we'll buy the extra hamburger anyhow. And so I bought the extra hamburger and we sit down to eat like normal. And I saw through the window a homeless person walking by. So I thought, instead of the kids doing it, I'll run out and do it real quick because I don't want them to leave and us not be able to give it to somebody. So I ran out there and the guy looked like the guy from Castaway, Tom Hanks, when he's 
malnourished, no food, sunburned, long curly hair, long beard, and obviously homeless. He's walking by, and I ran out. I said, hey, I got a hamburger for you. And he said, uh-uh, and shook his hand toward me. I said, I haven't done anything to it. I said, it's a free hamburger. And he said, uh, I can understand if it was one of those burgers that my wife makes that are veg vegetarian burgers or anything burgers. This is a good burger. So I said, listen. I said, it's free. You can have it. He said, ah, and he kept walking. I thought, I've never been turned down by a homeless person in my life. I go back inside, sit down to eat. I think that's so weird. The owner of the restaurant comes to me because he knows me. And he said, John Paul, do you know who that guy is? And I said, no, I don't know. He, goes, he said, he's part of the so-and-so family. Now, when he said this name, I know this family. They've been in Myrtle Beach since the early 1900s. They're one of the most richest and prominent uh, families in all of Myrtle Beach. They own many hotels all around the Grand Strand. And this guy, the owner's telling me, he said, him, he is a millionaire. I said, he's a millionaire? What is he doing on the streets? He said, well, about 15 years ago, he was driving a car. I don't remember if he said it was his daughter or his sister, but it was a female that was related to him. Long story short, an accident occurred and the female died that day. He said, ever since that happened, this man walked out of his mansion, away from his family and friends, and he's been choosing to live on the street for the past 15 years. What was his problem? He didn't think he deserved the mercy and forgiveness of God. Listen, he doesn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. That's what's so amazing about it. We don't deserve it. But God wants us to receive it anyway, because if not, we'll go through the same thing over and over again. He's saying, run to me, run to me. I'm not angry. I know you already did it. I'm not shocked that you sinned. When you make a mistake, God doesn't say, hey, Gabriel, can you believe what they did down there on earth again? God knows we did it. Here's how he knows, because his son already paid the price for us to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God. See, a lot of you think. A lot of you think that when you do something wrong, that this pain you're experiencing, you think God's punishing you. Let me teach you a theological truth that I'm going to teach again in this series. But it's really important you understand this. God can't. He cannot punish a single believer. He can't punish you. Because he already punished Jesus for everything you've done and everything you're going to do. Let me show you a scripture, Psalms 103, 11, and 12. He will not punish us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. What you're experiencing, this pain, this consequence, it's not punishment from God. It's a lesson from God. See, you think it's punishment. No, no, no. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God's trying to grow you. So he allows you to experience a consequence for what you did. But all it is is a lesson. Let me give you an example. Um, my wife loves to work out. Like, like every other day, every day. She's always either running miles, doing yoga, doing weights. Um, she finds creative ways to work out. Me? <clears throat> I like hamburgers and hot dogs. Um, I have the body of an intelligent man. <laughs> I would rather read a book than push weights up and down. 
But because I want to, you know, spend time with her and stuff, I'll work out. But I don't like working out with her because it feels like punishment every single time. I'll run a mile and she'll say, well, let's run two miles. But honey, that's not what that scripture meant in the Bible about going the extra mile. That was something else. I'll work out for 30 minutes. She wants to work out for an hour. She'll say, come on, put more weights on there. No. <laughs> Push harder. No. <laughs> I'm fine just pushing a little bit of weight. It feels like punishment. But what she's actually doing is trying to grow my muscles. Hey, listen. <laughs> Ushers, can you escort Miss Betty out of the what God's trying to do with your trials, He's trying to grow your spiritual muscles. It's not pain. Push a little bit harder and you'll come out of it on top. Okay? Um, think about in the Bible, Moses committed murder, right? Cain killed his brother. They both killed, they both committed murder. Cain knew he did wrong, Moses knew he did wrong. Cain knew it was bad, Moses knew it was bad. Cain never fulfilled his destiny. Moses, after 40 years of punishing himself, he goes to God, receives his mercy, and leads the children of Israel to the promised land. Both committed murder. One fulfilled their destiny. It wasn't the murder that stopped them. It was the fact that he did not receive the mercy and forgiveness from God. Right? Jonah turns his back on God. King Saul turns his back on God. They both knew they did wrong. King Saul's trial lasted to the end of his life. He ended up killing himself. Jonah's trial lasted three days and he finally repented and received the mercy of God and fulfilled his destiny. Both turned their back on God. One received mercy, one didn't. Same sin. Remember Peter? He denied Jesus when Jesus needed a friend more than ever. There was never a time in the life of Jesus where he needed somebody so bad to say, I got your back. And three times Peter denied him. Three times. You can imagine the guilt and condemnation. It says in Luke 22, 61, Peter went out and cried and cried and cried. Another disciple named Judas also turned his back on Jesus. Judas knew he did wrong. Peter knew he did wrong. Judas threw the money back to the people that paid him. And Peter went and cried and cried and cried. But Judas in Matthew 27, 3, he went out and he hanged himself. He killed himself. He didn't deserve, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your mercy for years. Peter ended up going to Jesus, finding him. He said, I'm sorry. I love you. I love you. I love you. He received the mercy of God in Acts 2.41. Peter became a preacher. And in one day, 3,000 people got baptized. Those 3,000 people would have never been baptized if he had done what Judas did. Said, I'm such a horrible person. I don't deserve anything good. You're right. You don't. But it's a free gift. You might as well take it. Because the sooner you take it, the sooner God can change you. The sooner you take it, the sooner God can use you. The sooner you take it, the happier God wants you to have joy in your life. He does not want you to punish yourself. Does not, does not, does not. Final point. This is my favorite one. Number five is repurpose. God never wastes anything. You can bring him a failed marriage and he'll still do something great in your life. You can bring him a failed business, a failed parent, a failed child. You can bring him a failed life, a broken life. And once you bring it to him and do these two points, I'm telling you, he will repurpose everything you've been through. 2 Corinthians 1.4, praise be to God who comforts us in all trials so that 
Here's, the, here's how you know when you finally reach the place where you're coming out of the trial. So that we can comfort others in trouble with the consolation that we receive from God. Um, uh, you know, years ago I went through a horrible trial and, 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 and I can remember so many details and things in the middle of it. But one particular person with one particular phrase forever changed my life. Uh, it was Linda Phillips, who's one of our elders. And I'll never forget, because, you know, Linda and Randy are people of great integrity. Um, they love Jesus. They're, they're wise. They're givers. Uh, just, just many people to look up to. And so you think when you find somebody like that in your life, oh, they're so perfect, and they've always done everything right, and you know, that kind of thing. So Linda comes up to me one day just in passing, and she says, if you knew my past, if you knew the things I've been through, you would understand why I'm quick to show you mercy and grace and love in the middle of what you're going through. Amen. Man, when you can say, the reason I'm here is because I've made mistakes, but now I can use this same, uh, the sin that the enemy tried to use to destroy me. The sin the enemy wanted to use for me to hang myself, run from God, and end my life. That same sin, once I bring it to God, he turns it around and now I'm going to use it to help somebody else in need. That's the most amazing place we could ever be with any mistakes we've ever made. Um, true story, several years ago, this 19-year-old boy takes an assault rifle and he runs into the high school and he starts shooting it up in the air. Nobody got hurt. Everybody starts running and fleeing out of the way. And he ended up barricading himself in a room in which he thought he was all alone. He was going to end his life and just be done with everything. The SWAT team had surrounded the building. Helicopters you could hear flying around. The boy thought he was alone in the room, but didn't realize that the accountant of the school had hidden behind one of the desks. Her name was Miss Tuff. She stands up from behind the desk and her and the 19-year-old boy's eyes meet from across the room. He draws the assault rifle and she asks him, why are you doing this? He started to cry. He said, listen, I'm off my medicine. I have no friends. I've made so many mistakes. Nobody cares about me. I have no hope and I want to end my life. Miss Tuff looked at him and she said, I know exactly how you feel. My marriage of 33 years ended last year. I have a mentally handicapped child that I have to take care of 24 hours a day. And I have no purpose in my life at the time. I felt like committing suicide. I even tried to do it. But by the grace of God, I didn't. Miss Tuff told the young man, she said, God gave me an idea for a new business. Now I'm making so much money I can pay for people to help me with my child. Then she said, and I met somebody new in my life. She looked straight in his eyes with him holding the assault rifle, SWAT team all over the place. And she said, if God did it for me, I know God could do the same thing for you. The boy dropped the assault rifle, walked out of the room peacefully. Miss Tuff was later interviewed and she said this, I know God put me right there because I've been through exactly what he's going through. In other words, God never wastes anything that we bring to him. One of the scriptures that always helps me through trials 
2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. I'm going to read it out of the message translation because I, I love it out of that translation. It says, I'm glad not that you were upset, but that you were jarred into turning things around. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. The result, all gain, no loss. Distress that drives us to God turns us around. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. Now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which the distress has brought you closer to God? You're more alive. You're more sensitive. You're more reverent. You're more passionate. You're more responsible. This is what God wants to do with every single failure in our life. Last story, I'll let you go. A famous star sprinter named Lolo Jones. She holds the world record in the hurdles. In 2008 games, Olympic games, she was highly favored to win the gold. Everyone was betting on her. Nobody had ever come close to her time. She lined up on the track. The starter fired the gun. She took off running and everything was great. She was in first place just like everybody expected. She was already eight hurdles down. There's only 10 hurdles, 10 hurdles in this race. She trained for it for a decade, eight hurdles down. The second place is far behind her, two left to go, and she wins the gold. And on the ninth hurdle, for the first time in all of her competitions, her timing got off, her foot hit the hurdle, she stumbled and fell to the ground. She laid there as she watched the other runners pass her by. Biggest disappointment in her life. She had trained for over a decade for that 12-second race, and now it was all to naught. Whenever she got interviewed after the race, she said this, and I'll quote it. I'm in terrible pain. I'm incredibly disappointed. But at least now I can help everybody else who has fallen. That should be our attitude with every trial that we're growing through. Once I grow through this, now I'll be in a place where I can help everybody else that's fallen. 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised at the fiery trial which is taking place to test your quality. If you will handle each trial God's way, not only will it make your life easier, but you'll have the quality that you need to be able to help other people who have fallen. Amen. 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 That's the purpose of trials. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads for a minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just to take a minute and just to not focus on anything but the voice of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. I believe that God can speak to every single one of you in here today. Having a free will allows us to not only choose to love God, but also allows us to choose the wrong path sometimes. But in God's great mercy, He can take the furthest path from Him, the wrong, the most wrong path you could ever take, 
He could take all of those days, weeks, years of bad decisions and use it for his glory and for his highest purposes, which is to help people. Maybe you're going through a trial today. And I realize it's not easy. I realize it's not enjoyable. But maybe you fail to recognize your part. You haven't been taking full responsibility. Maybe there's been no repentance. Maybe you've done all that, but you haven't received the mercy and forgiveness of God. And you still, you're still feeling this weight of I'm a failure and here's what people think of me and they must not. Who cares what anybody thinks but God? Especially when it comes to you humble people that are quick to recognize your part in the trial, your responsibility. I want to pray for everybody that's going through a trial right now. Or maybe there's a trial in your life that you went through the wrong way and you don't want it to be repeated in the future. And you need God to help change the way you think. So just lifting your hands real quick, just as a sign of faith so I can pray for you. 30 seconds. Lord Jesus, everyone that had the faith to raise their hand, the courage to say, I need Jesus in this. God, I ask that you remind them of these five points on a daily basis. Let them see that you want to repurpose what they've been through. Lord, help them grow through this trial and not just go through it but grow through it so they come off better than they were before. Lord, help them to be presented with people who are going through the thing that they've grown through so that they can encourage them and pray for them and say, I know what it feels like. I have empathy for you. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to feel alone or I know what it's like to, to make that mistake or I know what it's like to battle that addiction. I know what it's like. It's not easy. It's not fun, but you can get through it. You can get through it. I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I know what it's like to battle that. I'll show you mercy. I'll help you through it. But don't stay where you're at. Don't stay there. Grow through this. Grow through it. Repent. Ask God to help change the way you think. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room with their hand raised right now. As they grow through this trial, Lord, do something amazing in their life. Let them actually look back and say, I'm glad I actually went through it. I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad that God brought me on top. Now I'm at a place I'd never be at. I have wisdom I would have never had. I have a whole new outlook. I'm more reverent. God, I, can, I, see, I see you now. I see where you were at in this trial the entire time. Thank you, Lord, for opening up our eyes to your goodness in the middle of these trials. We give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.